Open your Bibles with me, if you would, once again to Isaiah chapter 9. You probably could almost read this with me from memory without looking at your Bibles, but nonetheless, follow along if you would. Two weeks ago, we began a deep dive into this prophecy, into the first seven verses of this chapter, focusing first on the promise of God. The promise of God given to his people, given to the world. A promise of gloom being transformed into joy. Of darkness being transformed into light. Of distress being transformed into comfort. And all of this coming as a result of a child being born to us. Brothers and sisters, these are not just pie-in-the-sky ideas. But no, these are realities that the gospel brings to us here on earth, that Jesus brings to us here on earth. And so last week, those of you who are here remember that we focused on that reality, why and how a human child, Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem to Joseph and a virgin Mary, was the means of God reversing the curse, displaying his love and true humanity for us. So that's where we've been. That's your review for the morning. Today, now, we move into what will be our four-week study that will take us through Christmas Day of these titles, these names that are given here in Isaiah chapter 9 to this promised baby boy. And, And these are more than just titles. They're more than just descriptors. These reflect the embodiment of a person A person who is alive, who is still enthroned in human flesh, and a person that our hearts desperately need. And so this morning I read again Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 and 6 and 7. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand for God's word being read. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, 6 and 7. Follow along with me if you would as I read. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us, a child is born. To us, A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. That's where we're going to set our hearts for the next few minutes. How would you define what a counselor is? Maybe that would be a good place for us to start. We've got some counselors here in this room. 
Our modern dictionary says this, it's a person trained to give guidance on personal, social, or psychological problems. Now that's just Webster's dictionary. Eh, it's okay. Maybe not the best definition, but it's a starting place. I would say especially recently, we in our culture have become more aware of our need for and the helpfulness of such people in our lives, of counselors. As you might suspect, the American Psychological Association reports that the number of referrals for their services doubled from 2020 to 2021. Seven in ten psychologists have a wait list that is growing longer each week. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, the counseling profession in general, whether it be therapists, clinical social workers, mental health counselors, etc., is expected to grow 23% from now into the year 2030, and that's much faster than any other field. And this isn't all bad. Don't get me wrong, I don't think necessarily this is a bad thing. For a people that are, are bent and broken, for creatures that are limited in their abilities, finite in their understanding, seeking counsel from someone, from somewhere, is unavoidable, I think. In fact, the statistics that I just spoke of, they refer to acute counseling needs, right? Formal counseling context. But the fact of the matter is, we all need counseling, and we all receive counseling from somewhere. We also give counsel in some ways. Whether we call it that or not. You see, a person doesn't need to be trained, the context doesn't need to be formal, and the problem doesn't necessarily need to be acute. Sometimes all those things are necessary, absolutely. As we come to this passage this morning, this wonderful title, Wonderful Counselor, one of the first things I want you to see in this passage is that the core need the core need was no different when Isaiah penned these words originally to the people of Israel. See, the people of the nation of Israel were a people like us, though in different ways, of course. They were a people in bondage externally and internally. They were a people who were restless and anxious about a host of things. They were insecure. They were in need of counsel. We see it throughout this book of prophecy, but if you flip forward with me for just a moment in your Bibles, those of you who have it before you, flip forward for just a few chapters to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 20, we read a, a summary of sorts of their condition, the nation of Israel back in the 8th century. This is the picture of their condition. Isaiah 28, verse 20. For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. Isn't that an interesting way to describe one's condition. Now I can tell you, as a tall drink of water myself, I know this thing of which they speak, of beds being too short. 
It's not restful like a bed should be. There is no comfort. And and this is where Israel finds itself, particularly because the ones who were normally looked to for guidance, who were normally looked to for counsel in the nation of Israel, the leaders who were entrusted with God's word are, verse 7 reports, uh, chapter 28, they are literally drunk. They're consumed by their own addictions that numb them to the pain that's all around them and that's in their own hearts. Basically, they do what much of society does these days instead of receiving counsel, instead of going to the root of issues, is we simply numb the pain. We simply numb the anxiety. And this is what the people of Israel's leaders did. And it left the people of Israel wanting and in need. And so... Though in Isaiah's time, the the leaders that he speaks to may have scoffed at his message, he promises to God's people that despite their leaders, Yahweh has not forgotten them. But as we've already talked about, light is coming into their darkness. Help is on the way. Counsel is coming. And so the message to ancient Israel, as they heard these words, for to you a a child is born, he will be a wonderful counselor. The message to them was, look to that one. Look to that light. And it's the same message for us today. Look to that wonderful counselor. Well, as we camp out on these words, these two words for the next few minutes, two words, two truths for us real briefly to go through. And the first is this, Jesus is a wonder of a counselor. Jesus is a wonder of a counselor. Now, maybe you think, okay, Nate, that's kind of strange. All you did was rearrange the words. Doesn't seem like really necessary. Doesn't really seem like it did anything. Didn't really make any difference. I would argue, yes, it does make a difference. And here's why. It's because we so easily blow through that word, wonderful. Right? After all, it's a word that we use plenty of times and we hear it particularly in these days, right? It's the most wonderful time of the year. Why is it wonderful? Because there'll be parties for hosting and marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow. Much mistletoeing. Hearts will be glowing as loved ones are near. You see, that's just it. We use this word wonderful and we use it subjectively in regards to our feelings, right? Even when you hear that song, it it brings up nostalgia, it brings up sentimentality. And so when we think about Jesus being a wonderful counselor, we say, yeah, he's, he's wonderful. He's terrific. Jesus is a really good counselor. I think you're really going to like him. But that's not what's being said here. Those things aren't untrue. I'm not saying he's not terrific. I'm not saying you're not going to like him. But what Isaiah is saying to the people of God here and to us here this morning is much more than just, hey, he's a really swell guy and he's really good at counseling. You see, the same Hebrew root for that word wonderful here, it occurs in Psalm 78. 
Verse 12, let me read it to you. In the sight of Israel's fathers, he, that is the Lord, Yahweh, performed wonders in the land of Egypt. And the psalmist then goes on to describe the parting of the Red Sea, the splitting of the rock which gave life-giving water to God's people in the midst of the desert. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. Those were the wonders that came from God. And then in Judges 13, 18, we find the same word used here in our passage. Same Hebrew word. And there the angel of the Lord says to Manoah, that is Samson's father, says this, why do you ask my name seeing that it is wonderful? In other words, it is a wonder. It is beyond your understanding. It is incomprehensible. Basically, he's saying, don't try to get to the bottom of me because you can't. I am a wonder. That is my name. My name shall be called Wonder. You see, it's not just that this child is special and amazing. It's not just that he evokes wonder in us, though he should. It is that this child will surpass all human thought and power and understanding. He will be God himself. You see, we haven't gotten to the title Mighty God. We'll get there in a few weeks. But this is a reference, this word wonderful, this is a reference to the deity of this child. His name is Wonder. He is a wonder of a counselor. This child will be fully human, a son born to earthly parents. We talked about that. And yet he will transcend them in his origins because his origins come from the Godhead. And he was there at the very beginning. And he will be like no other human child has ever been. And as a result, this Jesus, this counselor, this wonder of a counselor needs no other counselors. We all know that good rulers in our day, they surround themselves with smart people. Smart advisors and consultants who can inform them, who can help them see things from multiple angles. Jesus needs no help. Good counselors go through training to learn the complexities of the human heart and strategies in order to deal with this brokenness. Jesus needs no training. He doesn't need to learn any of this. He is himself wisdom, truth, and knowledge. Let me read some scriptures to you. He is the branch of Isaiah 11. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His development as a young man, a 12-year-old kid, will testify to this. Luke 2, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His ministry beginnings will testify to this. Matthew 13, when Jesus had finished, he went away from there and Coming to his hometown, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? And then of course, when he leaves earth, this will be the testimony of his followers. 1 Corinthians 1, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Colossians 2, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is a wonder of a counselor, recognizing the reality of this promised child. Indeed, this is what Christmas is all about. This is where we begin. 
Tim Keller, the familiar PCA pastor, author, said once, Christmas has made foolish the wisdom of the world. And he said this after asking the question, if, if you wanted to leave a legacy like none other, if you wanted 2,000 years after your death, you wanted one quarter of the planet basically revolving their lives, centering their lives around you and around your teaching, how would you go about that? What strategic plan would you make for accomplishing such a goal? Well, let me tell you this, it wouldn't be a baby in a manger in an obscure village to ordinary folks. It wouldn't be a a ragtag bunch of fishermen and other sinners. It wouldn't be an execution on a Roman cross, and yet here we are. Wisdom not of this world has confounded us because Jesus is a wonder of a counselor. And it is still ours for the taking. And that's where we go next. Not only is Jesus a wonder of a counselor, but Jesus is the counselor our hearts need. Jesus is the counselor our hearts need. Choosing a counselor, perhaps some of you know this from experience, it can be a tricky business. A lot of factors play into it. Right, Their worldview, their training, their education, their temperament, their personality. We want to think about a lot of different things. And even if you've never had formal counseling, even if you've never looked to someone formally, you have evaluated who is worthy of your ear and of your trust. You are looking to someone. You are looking to somewhere, especially in times of crisis with questions that you need answer. And so the challenge this morning that comes out of this title is where are you looking? See, here's where the rubber meets the road. Are you looking to podcasts or politicians, intellectuals or entertainers, celebrities or influencers, media moguls, or just the society in general? Kind of the general vibe of society. Who is shaping your thoughts and your hearts, right? Young people, you especially need to hear this. Because there is a lie that is being perpetuated in your generation by two words that don't belong together. The words, my truth. It doesn't exist. My truth is not a thing. It's truth. It's truth. And it's embodied in Jesus. So the challenge as we think about Jesus, the wonder of a counselor, is where are we looking for counsel? Let me just rattle off three incomparables to Jesus' counsel. First of all, He is accessible. (laughs) right? No appointment needed for Jesus. No screening necessary. Anytime, anywhere, you can speak to Him and you can hear from Him. Number two, He knows us. Not just in general, Not just, I'm aware of all humanity since I made you. Not just in that sense. Not just in a, I know what you're feeling because I've been there, I've done that, I've been in flesh. Though that is wonderful as well, right? We have a high priest who knows our weaknesses. 
No, he knows you. He knows me in the truest, most intimate sense. As David says in Psalm 139, my favorite psalm, before a word comes off my tongue, you know it completely. He knows your story. He knows your wounds. He knows your hopes. He knows your fears. And then the last thing, he can truly help you change, right? That's what counselors are tasked to help do, right? To curtail the addiction, to calm the anxiety, to help you process your story, to heal your pain. But as we know, as we were reminded, even the discipleship hour, our heart issues are so deep, we need help beyond those strategies. As wonderful and as well-intentioned as they might be, we need the Spirit of God. Only Jesus can carry us where we can't walk. Only Jesus can prod us towards real change. We've talked about it before, brothers and sisters. We, We live in a tricky time. A time where information is more accessible than ever. A time when there are more opinions confronting us on a daily basis than we can handle. And frankly, so much of it is garbage. So much of it is lies. Some of it is in your face. Some of it is insidiously subtle. Psalm 1 warns, don't be duped by the so-called wisdom of the world. Remember the progression of Psalm 1? First, we walk in the counsel of the wicked, right? We, we begin to accept their advice and toy with their ideas. We're impressed by their intellects. And then we end up standing in the way of sinners, not in the way that we think of blocking someone's way, but the Hebrew conveys following in one's footsteps. We become part of the wickedness that we were just once listening to and impressed by. And then we end up sitting with the scoffers. We've wholeheartedly adopted their ideas. Their dictionary has become ours. And in contrast, Psalm 1 tells us to do what? To soak in the Word. To be a tree planted by a stream, sucking life-giving water out of that stream, knowing the Word of Christ and letting it dwell in us richly, letting Him be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And this, just practically speaking as we tie this off, this is how the wonder of a counselor counsels. He's not here, you say. He's not here in bodily form, but He is here. He's here right now by His Spirit. He lives in you by His Spirit. The One who is specifically tasked with guiding us in the truth. The One who is specifically given the title, Counselor. He doesn't speak to me, you say. Yes, He does. By His Word. Directly. By His Spirit. In your inner spirit. And through His people. Through godly people. Through godly counselors who are helping you see His truth. This is the very practical means by which He gives counsel. This isn't simply a call to read and know your Bibles more. Though that's not a bad thing. It's more a call to discernment. 
on where we're getting our opinions on things. A call to slow down, to glorify God with your mind, and to be critical as you think through things. Be suspect of the ideology of the world. I think too often our counselor is society's so-called wisdom and compassion, which may masquerade as love. It may even use that phrase, but it's not love. It's not love. Too easily, I think we're climbing into bed with so many ways of the world, whether it be flipping doctrines that have been long held by God's people, or just simply not thinking more critically about why we're doing the things that we're doing. Let God's Word this morning, brothers and sisters, prompt you to cry out to this wonder of a counselor. He is alive. He is ready to listen. He is ready to guide. Look to and listen to Him and to those who love Him like you do. That you might receive wisdom from God and not from this world. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven, we thank You for this Incredible title, Wonderful Counselor. And while we wish, while we long for Jesus to be here in the flesh, in bodily form, able to be seen with our eyes, able to be embraced with our arms, Father, until that day when we will see You face to face, Jesus, we need Your help. We need Your Spirit. We need Your help to have ears that are attuned to You and to Your ways. We need the discernment to be able to see the lies, both the bold lies that are in our face as well as those that are in sheep's clothing. Oh Father, I pray that You would take this Word and that You would work in us that which is pleasing to You, wisdom and discernment that is grounded, as the Proverbs say, in the fear of the Lord. O Spirit, may the Word that has just gone out accomplish all that You intend for it to accomplish. For the glory of Your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.